We are halfway through the 2023 hurricane season, and it's been pretty quiet so far. But we haven't really reached the peak of the season, and the tropics have been getting more active in the past few weeks. Today, I'm going off the radar with two legends in the broadcast meteorology world. We'll have a lively discussion about everything from hot ocean temperatures to the use of drones in hurricane forecasting. We'll be diving into the second half of hurricane season, exploring the factors that fuel these storms and the ways technology is revolutionizing our ability to track and understand them. I'm meteorologist Emily Gracie, and you're listening to Off the Radar, a production of the National Weather Desk. On the show, we dig deep into topics about weather, climate, the ocean, space, and much more. Our goal is to help you better understand the weather and to love it as much as we do. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Today's episode features two meteorologists that have decades of experience studying and tracking hurricanes. Let's start with James Spann. He's a broadcast meteorologist in Birmingham, Alabama at ABC 3340, where he's been chief for 25 years. While he's local to Alabama, he's become a household name nationwide for his weather communication skills. In fact, just last week, he went viral for his response to a crazy TikTok video claiming that a Category 6 hurricane was headed to Florida. It's predicted that September 6th of this year, Florida and the Carolinas will be hit with a Category 6 hurricane. Stop, stop. There's no such thing as a Category 6 hurricane. The Saffir-Simpson scale is 1 to 5. So here's a problem here. There's no skill in forecasting the placement and the intensity of a tropical cyclone beyond 5 to 7 days. As you can tell, James has a knack for fearlessly shutting down inaccurate weather information. He never lacks passion for meteorology, and you'll hear that in our talk today. Also joining the discussion is Alex Garcia. Alex's role as a chief meteorologist in San Antonio is just a tiny piece of his weather puzzle. He's held numerous titles in his career, including professor, news director, and even podcaster. He also organizes his own tropical weather conference every year in Texas. Both James and Alex hold the prestigious Certified Broadcast Meteorology Seal of Approval from the American Meteorological Society and serve numerous volunteer positions. So I was thrilled to get them both in the audio booth for 30 minutes to get their take on all the tropical talkers of the year. So whether you're a meteorologist, a concerned coastal resident, or just someone who's curious about the forces of nature, this episode has something in store for you. You'll get some great insider information on the hurricane season so that you and your loved ones can be better prepared for the next three months. All right. Um, James Spann and Alex Garcia, this is a huge honor to have you both on the show. You guys are both podcasters yourself. I've been learning from you. I've been listening to you. I've been watching you my entire career. So it's an honor to talk to two great meteorologists and two great tropical meteorologists as well, because 
I know some stuff about tropical weather. I know about the hurricane season, but I want to know more, and our listeners do too, because this season has been interesting. Every season is interesting. But I want to start by introducing you and getting a little background on both of you. Alex Garcia, San Antonio, uh, you've been not only in the weather world, but also running your own <laughs> tropical conference for years. So I'd love to get a little big, a uh, little bit of background on you and how you got into weather and and what you're up to right now. TV is such a small part of it these days. Yeah, TV is a little small part of uh, everything that I'm doing. Uh, ever since she, we got involved in uh, producing this tropical weather conference, it's kind of opened up completely. Uh, with the uh, pandemic that came along, that kind of we had to make a pivot. We turned it into a TV show, and that turned into a podcast, and that turned into a live cast. And so, yeah, it's uh, it's a busy time for us. Uh, a lot of things going on, interviewing a lot of folks, uh, taking some really interesting looks at what is happening in the hurricane prep world also in the resilience world so that uh, that's really interesting as well so you have been a meteorologist for a few years what got your interest in weather um way back when oh man i'm gonna date myself uh <laughs> i the first thing that really got me excited about weather was hurricane carla i think james will probably remember that uh that was back in 1961 i was 10 years old at the time and i was in victoria where the eye passed over and I remember that storm vividly, just as it happened yesterday, trees coming over, cars being pushed around, trash cans flying through the air. Yeah, I remember that. That, uh, that kind of sparked the interest in weather. And from there, it just kind of went on, uh, ended up in radio, ended up in TV, and here I am uh, doing, doing weather all these years later. It's funny how there's always that hurricane or storm that defines our childhood and our decision. Yeah. I'll date myself. It was Hurricane Gloria for me. <laughs> also, I was a New Englander, so hurricanes didn't really define my interest in weather, but it's definitely yeah. where it's at now. James, what about you? Give me a little background on how you got into this world. I've got a great Hurricane Gloria story, but we'll we'll <laughs> save that for another day. All right. Um, so, uh, no, I, I am from rural South Alabama, and every summer day we have air mass storms here. And the other kids were aggravated by them. They did not like them. They hated them. I thought they were outstanding. I mean, they were great. And uh, so I, I started as a young child on air mass storms. Then we moved to Tuscaloosa, Alabama when I started fifth grade. And I lived in Tuscaloosa in the decade of the 1970s. And you think weather is wild now, you should have lived through the 1970s. And uh, I was a child of the super outbreak of 1974 and so many other individual events that uh, really got me hooked into this. And so I uh, never thought this was a career possibility. My first major in college was electrical engineering, <laughs> but I, I, would, I found out that this was a viable career option, changed uh, colleges and majors, and I've been at this for 45 years. Me and Alex, we're, we're seasoned veterans. Yes. Seasoned. That's a great way to put Lots it. Lots of seasons on it. Old is old as dirt. <laughs> so let's talk about this hurricane season. Um, Noah just came out with an update to the forecast for this year. We're about halfway ish through the season right now, but not quite to the peak. So first, I want to start by asking you about these long term forecasts that Colorado State and Climate Prediction Center puts out, and your faith in them and your opinion on them. Well. You know, I've uh, I've talked with Phil now I've, for I don't know how many years, uh, ever since uh, he took over. And then even before that, I knew Dr. Gray. 
And what they've always said is that it's not really a, a forecast forecast, but it is a trend that gives you an idea of what could potentially happen given all the conditions that have kind of set up either in the Atlantic or the Pacific or in other little areas. And these little things kind of come together to, to give you a trend so that you can kind of see what's coming up. Uh, this year, kind of an interesting one uh, involving El Nino and involving the, the Atlantic. And, and that's something I guess we'll get into here in just a minute. James? Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, and again, I like Alex. I, I knew Bill Gray and I know Phil. They're brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I learned from them. And this is your group at Colorado State. And obviously, over the years, uh, goodness, uh, so many directors of the NHC and folks that work there and folks that work within NOAA that put these outlooks out. I, I have nothing. I don't have a negative thing to say about the outlooks. The, the problem I have with them is what do people do with this information? Let's say that you live in New Orleans. You live in Fort Myers. You live in Pensacola. You live in Panama City Beach. And here we are, it's April, and we get the seasonal outlooks, and all the media goes crazy, and you know they're gonna, we're going to have an above-average season, or we're going to have a below-average season. What do they do with this information? You have to be ready every single year. And how many times have we said this, Alex? All it takes is how many? One. Just one. 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 And if there's just one major hurricane in the Atlantic Basin, and it by chance that strikes a major metropolitan area on the coast, you've got to be ready. And, and I'm afraid that some people will hear, Oh, it's going to be a, a light season. It's El Nino, and, and uh, I'm, I'm, you know, we don't have to worry about it this year. So, my question—it's it's mainly a social science question—is what do end users, the people, do with this information? So, I, I think as communicators in meteorology, we have to be really careful and explain that this is just a, a guideline, and it, it's some thoughts to maybe help you get ready. But you got to be ready one way or the other. Yeah, that's the big—that's the big thing. No matter the season, you always be prepared. It's almost like a 10-day forecast. I think people want to see it regardless of the accuracy. Exactly. <laughs> oh, some, some people buy these, say buy them, they'll, they'll install these crap apps on their phone yeah. and you get a 45-day forecast. Yes. <laughs> and again, no, nothing on the entity that puts that out. I'm not condemning anybody, but right. let's be real. It, it's a fantasy. It's a farce. And some people actually think that there's some value to that. So yeah, it's... You, you have to be very careful with uh, information that goes in the world beyond seven days. Okay, so let's move on to something else making news right now, which is sea surface temperatures that are 100 degrees. So can you guys address, first of all, the legitimacy and the role this plays in hurricane season, as well as kind of why this is happening with El Nino? Yeah, uh, we just had a show a couple of weeks ago with Brian McNoldy, and we brought that same question up to him. You know, w what's this 101 temperature down at Florida? And he said, that's kind of suspect because of where that sensor is. It's in an area where the water is really still. It's not moving. Uh, it's in an area where the potential for uh, the water to heat up abnormally like that in a small area, it's possible. So the rest of that region likely was much cooler than that. 90s, but much cooler than that. I follow David Zierden. He's the Florida State climatologist, and uh, he has a very interesting Twitter account. And, of course, the media, they're going to jump on that. The, you know, the sea surface temperatures are 101 degrees. Yeah. Unbelievable. And, and they don't give any context to this information. And, and even the Florida State climatologist is saying these are very shallow 
uh, little spots and you get these little warm eddies that come through here. And that's not really a sea surface temperature. That's not what that is. So that's not what you need to focus on. If you're looking to read something into the hurricane season, you need to look at the entire basin. And of course, it's warm. There's no doubt about that. It's warm. It's El Nino. But yeah, I, I would raise a red flag with those 101 degree ocean temperatures. Yeah. And the primary area that you're going to be looking for is the main development region. It's in that long area right off the coast of Africa, coming all the way back over just south of the Caribbean. That's where you really want to look for the heat to uh, get these storms developed. Because as these little tropical waves come off the coast of Africa, this is the area that they're going to get into. And that's where they're going to be looking for the heat. That little area off of Florida, not really representative of what's out in the Atlantic Basin. Um, okay, so let's talk about fun new tools when it comes to hurricane tracking. It seems like there are a lot. Maybe it's just me, but I, I, every day I think I, I keep hearing about something new and fun and interesting. And the change that's kind of created in hurricane forecasting and our ability to to be more precise, perhaps, to really shrink that cone. Um, sail drones, any thoughts on sail drones? That's interesting. Alex owns five of those things. Yeah, he we should do, know. We do. We've got... Really? <laughs> no, not really. We uh, <laughs> we interviewed that guy who, who put the sail drones out there, you know, and they're just getting that thing started. And they're just getting a few little areas where it's it's there. So while it's an interesting concept and an interesting idea, they're, they've still yet to really put it into real use. But it's potential, you know. They're so much bigger than I thought they were. They're... I saw one next to a boat the other day. I guess I thought they were really small, but they're huge. Oh no, they're pretty big. Yeah, they're yeah. pretty big. Uh, they've got to they've got to be able to survive if they're going to put them into the path of a storm and get them into the storm and try to get some data with these waves. Uh, you know, you're looking 20, 30, 40 foot waves once the things get going out there in the middle of the Atlantic or even in the Gulf of Mexico. The waves can get pretty high, uh, so you've got to have a, a device or a vehicle that's going to be able to navigate those things and stay stay in one piece now the the 59 dollar amazon.com drone will not serve this purpose well i mean <laughs> not it, well it, at all it it it, it won't work <laughs> those but, things don't survive the, the a day <laughs> <laughs> the biggest problem we have it's the lack of real-time upper air data I mean, that's the problem yeah. and as we look at modeling and uh, and it, I, i'm just telling you that's the biggest issue that we have if we don't have adequate data to go into these you're not going to have adequate output. And these hurricanes are developing out in the middle of nowhere. As Alex talks about the MDR, you don't launch balloons out there. You just, just, and you get some satellite data and you get aircraft data and you, and you get a little data from time to time. But I'm talking real-time upper air data. And until we as a weather enterprise can figure out a way of doing that, then we'll struggle with, with forecasting placement and intensity. But I think that the, the drone technology is great. That's a great start. And I love this next generation. I think the younger generation that's in college now, I think they're brilliant. They're hard workers. They're really smart. They understand the limitations. And I'm optimistic that they'll, they'll come up with some solutions. And it's the same for forecasting here in the mid-latitudes, inland. Same problem. We're launching balloons twice a day. How insane is that? This is 2023, and we're launching these radio signs twice a day. Yeah. How much does the atmosphere change in 12 hours? And I know on active days, they'll launch maybe four a day, but we, we've got to figure that out. That, that's our biggest restraint. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that's the biggest hole in the data that we need. And uh, when we're still launching balloons decades after, later, we're still using 1950s technology to gather data. Okay, well, let's move on to 
airborne radar then and the idea of attaching radar to aircraft and flying to a storm. Do you see benefit in that? Well, there is a benefit. You know, the hurricane hunters have have airborne radar. That's how they get themselves through in and out of those storms. Uh, when I was on a couple of those flights with them, that radar was indispensable. And uh, there was a replacement aircraft coming out for us. We'd already been out about seven hours and that radar went out. So they had to turn around and go back, and we had enough fuel to stay another seven hours, so we stayed out there. That radar is important. It really kind of picks up on, on the strength of the storm, how it's forming, where those eye walls are really starting to either reform or break out. And commercial aircraft have onboard radar, but obviously the object for them is to stay as far away from those things as they can. Exactly. So it, it's not going to do much good with the you know commercial jets that fly, but uh, no, the uh, and again, I have not had a chance to go up with hurricane hunters. I would love to do that one day, you gotta do one it. day. Uh, but still that that's a critical part of the, uh, you know, the data for them and they have to be safe. This is dangerous business. Alex, you know, this is, we, we take it for granted what, what these men and women do. Uh, and, and it, it, with the air force reserve with, with Noah, how, how bad was that flight, Alex? How, how bad is it up there? It, uh, the, most of the flight, believe it or not, is pretty quiet until you get to the storm. And that's right. when you hit the right. turbulence. And then it's, it's a little bit of an interesting ride. It can get pretty crazy. We went from uh, cat one to cat two to cat three, and you can tell the difference in the turbulence. And it's not so much at the eye wall, but it's the turbulence approaching the eye wall that gets kind of, kind of hairy. Uh, we did talk to a couple of the pilots that were in Hurricane Ian, and that's when that aircraft dropped and just lost uh, altitude really quick. That really scared them. That storm was pretty strong. So to listen to them talk and the pilots talk, that scared them completely. Uh, you know, this is a really rough business to be in up there. But And I will say one more thing. I think buoy density will help us uh, if we can have more a finer density of buoys across the Atlantic Basin. And they're out there and they do fine, but there's not that many of them. And again, the more data we have to work with, the better off we'll be when it comes to forecasting placement and intensity and do now casting of hurricanes. Uh, those buoys are awfully important. Exactly. Uh, South Earth Research here is working on those little micro satellites that they're putting up. A series of these little satellites that'll be going over the uh, main development region a lot quicker than we'll get other data from. And so we're looking maybe to leverage those to give us some data that we haven't been able to get so far. So James, you say more upper air data. What like what do you think would be beneficial? Is that a satellite answer or because how else are you looking at stuff over the ocean? Well, that that's the challenge. I mean, that is the it's, this is hard and and obviously, you know, satellite derived upper air data is okay, but it's not real data. It's it's satellite derived. It's it's an estimate. And uh so, you know, and you look at drones, I think that's, uh, uh, and, and you can't just have a million drones flying over the ocean at any given time because you, the, the batteries are limited, but it's a challenge. Nobody has a direct answer to that, but yeah, it starts with better satellite upper air wind estimates. It starts with putting a bunch of drones up uh, instead of launching balloons twice a day. Let's leave the drones, and we've got active weather, leave them up there as long as they can fly with the battery technology we have. And they can be put out in the Atlantic Basin. The, the United States military, they can have drones on their ships, the Navy, and they could launch them in, in some of these basins where hurricanes are active. So the, the more creative we can be, the better off we'll be. I know, James, I've asked you about this, but do you think AI plays a role in future upper air data and analyzing yeah. satellites? Uh, yeah, you know, everybody gets creeped out over AI. Oh, man, it's going to take our jobs away. 
Uh, no, 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 no. Come on. I mean, I, I'm old enough. We, we, Alex had been, we, 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 we've been around for a lot of emerging technologies over our lifetime. And it's the same fear I've seen over and over. This is going to take our jobs. It's going to, well, no, it's not. If you do your job right, it won't take your job. It might take a few, but it's not going to take, you know, most of the jobs. And I think we need to look as that, not, not as a threat, but as a tremendous advantage possibility going forward. Machine learning and AI, uh, one of my good friends is Dr. Neil Jacobs. Uh, Neil was the administrator of NOAA, acting administrator, and he, he is the numerical weather czar, and he's really excited about it. And if he's excited about it, I'm excited about it in terms of future modeling and accuracy of models, because we often live and die by these models when it comes to hurricane forecasting, tornado outbreak forecasting, daily simple weather forecasting. So, yeah, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. And like anything else we look at, you know, numerical weather, but you, you've got to have someone professional looking at it to to go through the data and make sure it's right. Well, let's talk about communication, because this is really where it all comes together for us. You can have all the tools in the world, but if we're not communicating this information correctly, they're useless. So let's talk about NHC and some of these terms, you know, potential tropical cyclone is one of them that perhaps causes a little confusion. We're hearing it this year. So give me your opinion on the use of more communication uh, warnings like this when it comes to potential tropical cyclones or added uh, warnings like storm surge warnings. Is more better? I'm not qualified to answer that because my background is engineering, meteorology. That's it. What you're asking, it's a social science question. And this is why we have to have this interdisciplinary approach in, in the weather enterprise to be successful. And you're right. You can have the best forecast in the world, but if people don't hear it, if they don't understand it, if they don't react properly to it, what good is it? And these brilliant men and women have been so helpful uh, to me over the last 10 years, really, about communication and effectiveness. And I think all of this is a social science question. And the other thing that we have to consider, understand now that many, many, many citizens of this country, they don't get weather information from the National Hurricane Center they don't get weather information from James or Alex. They get it from their favorite TikToker or YouTuber. These people have millions and millions and millions and millions of followers and views. And uh, that, that's another issue. And I'm not saying they're all bad, but I'm saying some of them are bad. And some of the information is really bad. And, and for them, monetizing those channels involves hyperbole and fear. They use fear to drive views, engagement. And which in turn creates money for them. But at the same time, it's a horrible thing and that you're scaring people half to death with information that's really flaky and not necessarily true. So we've got to fight that as well. And I think what we need to do is educate the public in terms of what what is a reliable source of information. And I think it starts with the National Hurricane Center. It's got to start there. You've got to have a baseline. And that's the baseline in this ocean of weather information. Go find them first and then go find somebody that you trust that preferably is where they might have a seal, a certification from the AMS, one of our professional societies, that that's an important thing going forward as well. And again, I'm not down on all the TikTokers and the YouTubers. Some, some of them serve a very good purpose, but some of them are uh, really diluting the amount of good quality information that people get. But, but all of us, all professional meteorologists have to understand the way people consume media. And we have to be there for them when they need us at their convenience with good, reliable information. And, and, they'll, and they'll find us and they'll follow us. I totally agree with that. I mean, that's the, the problem being is that it's social media. And there's a lot of social media meteorologists that aren't. And we have them here in Texas as well. And that is a big uh, topic uh, that when we have the conference, we bring in some social scientists 
and we talk those topics over. We talk about communication, how to best communicate what we see in a trustful manner to those who are watching so that they'll take what we say as reliable as opposed to <laughs> the TikToker that's their favorite guy. I'm curious. Do you all talk to your viewers and what do they think? What do they think about added communication? What do they think about terms like potential tropical cyclone? Does it scare them? Does it add to the fluff for them or is it beneficial? Well, here's my deal. I hang out in Walmarts and Dollar Generals where real people are. That's where they are. Every summer when I get interns in here, where do I take them? The Walmart in Adamsville, Alabama, a working class part of the city. It represents the best cross section of people we serve. You don't need a $100,000 research project. Go down to the stinking Walmart in Adamsville and talk with people and ask them these questions. And they will be honest with you because it doesn't matter what we think or, or what, you know, anybody within the weather enterprise thinks. It matters what the end user thinks in terms of, you know, the quality information. That, that, that's a product that's a little confusing because most of us will say PTC7, PTC6, PTC4, PTC2. They don't know what that means. And we have to be cognizant of that and communicate that in a very clear, concise manner. And Alex is probably a whole lot better at it than I am. But I, I would say that there, there is some confusion. And, and they still are confused over Invest numbers. Yes, they Invest are. Invest 96, yeah. Invest 93, yeah. Invest 94L, AL93. It's they don't know confusing. what any of that means. It, 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 it is. And, and we often don't stop and explain it effectively and we have to be better at that. Don't, don't you agree, Alex? Just I totally so much, agree. Yeah. It, it, I, when, when it comes down to a hurricane that's developed, that's fine. You, you know, yeah. you've got hurricane, you know, advisories that come out, hurricane watches, hurricane warnings. But in, in, the, in the initial phases of these tropical cyclones, when they're an invest, uh, you know, when they're a PTC, I think we have to be better. We do. I mean, we have to take time and explain what we're looking at and take them, kind of walk them through the process of what's happening there. This is why we're calling this an invest. This is what we think is going to do, or these are all the little parameters around that thing and why we're calling it that. So I do that on social media and my posts, but I also take time on air to explain to people, this is what an invest is. Now I'm going to have to do the same thing with the PTCs. And we have to be better at communicating uncertainty. And I know we've talked about this forever, but yeah. I think that is true and that the world, I think, is kind of shifting from the deterministic forecasting to the probabilistic forecasting, which I think is the right thing to do. But again, we have to effectively communicate that. And that goes back to the maps and, you know, the maps and the cone and all this debate. We, Alex has probably had 100 shows on this. But mm -hmm. uh, again, we just have to understand the end user and all people groups. And that's another thing. It's not people that... that look like us and, and think like us right. and, and have the same worldview we do and the same education level we do, we have to reach all these different people groups and we have to be cognizant of that as well. And there's a lot of social, uh, educational kind of psychological things in that. And one of that big thing with the cone is that center line. If you put the center line in the cone, that's where they're going to focus on and forget that the storm can go either way. So you yank the center cone, the center line out, and now they're still kind of figuring out, well, I'm not on the edge of the cone. Wait a minute. It can go on the outside. So now what do you do? Uh, there's always something with people's perceptions of what you put out there as a warning. So we have to find a better way to communicate that. And I think probabilistic uh, methods of doing that is probably the way to do it. 
it's interesting. The NHC, I feel like every year says the same thing. Like, let's focus on impacts. Don't focus on the cone. But guess what? Every year, even as broadcast meteorologists, you're waiting for the advisory to come out and you're waiting, you're waiting. The right. cone is the last thing. Boom, there it is. You throw it on there social it media. Yes. That's what everybody wants to see. So it's, it's um, it's <laughs> we love it. We hate it. <laughs> um, OK, so let's talk about this season, the rest of the season and kind of what the future holds. Well, everybody's been focused on the battle. We've done a couple of shows on this and the, the El Nino versus the SSTs in the Atlantic. Well, that El Nino is not the El Nino of 1998. That thing is just like barely getting its act together. So it's pretty weak. And I think the SSTs are going to take it down. So future um, of hurricane forecasting, do you, I, I feel like people keep asking me the same two questions. And those two questions are, is the hurricane season going to become longer ever? And are we ever going to have a Category 6? So I want to hear what you two have to say to those Super fun questions. Let Go us hear for it. it. Ben. <laughs> I mean, let, let, let's be honest. Can, can we just shoot straight here? I mean, that's what we, that's what we do on Weather Brains. We, we're straight shooters. I mean, weather has become politicized, and I hate that. I can't stand politics. I can't stand any of them. I mean, I, I'm not a right winger. I'm not a left winger. These extremists have taken over, and, and somehow weather has become part of it now. And, and that is so sad because anytime you say anything about your questions, you will be attacked by political extremists on the left and on the right. And that's why so many of us don't want to talk about stuff like that, because you were just attacked, brutal, I mean, brutally attacked, threatened, uh, because it, it involves climate and that, that in, you say that word and all of a sudden it's politicized. And I hate that. It's a very interesting subject. I do think, Alex, the one thing that, that for sure NHC has started doing outlooks on May 15th, right? Yeah. Now, that, well, has, that has happened. It's happened because you, we've always uh, had these little things that kind of pop up. They just right haven't really extended the season. So I can see that happening. Yeah, and, and I, I don't think the season is going to change. And the other thing, too, I, I think the Saffir-Simpson scale at some point will change. And again, Alex has done 5,000 shows on this topic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in that, does it really effectively communicate the danger to the public on the coast? And I think there needs to be some refinement and some improvement there. And again, uh -huh. that's a social science question. But you look at what they did to the Fujita scale when it comes to tornadoes. For years and years, we had the F scale. Right. Now we have the EF scale, which is the enhanced Fujita scale. Uh -huh. And I, I think at some point they will look at making some changes to the Saffir Simpson scale, enhance that, and whether that would, whether they change some of the criteria and, and they add a six or a seven, I, I, I think that would be more of a logistical thing than a weather thing if right. that happens. Right. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, before we go, I want to ask you both really quick, Highlight of your career so far? Being on this show. Yeah, yes. why not? <laughs> See, I, Alex, you knew that's what you knew that's what she wanted us to yeah, say. Exactly. So. Yeah. We're here um, to have fun. Now, any big storms no. or, or coverage, you know, it doesn't have to be highlight, even most impactful thing that you've dealt with in your career. I, I, I'll say that the most bizarre thing for me, my first week in television in this market in Birmingham was September 12th, 1979. Alex might remember what happened September 12th, 1979, we had a hurricane called Frederick, Ooh, category yeah. three, that came right up Mobile Bay, upper right. in category three. And they sent me down there. I thought, I thought they were trying to kill me uh, because back in those days, we had very primitive, primitive information, no satellite trucks. Uh -huh. They wanted me to find a working phone to get a phoner back. Um, but that, that was my first week here. But in terms of my uh, career, uh, the most impactful event was a tornado outbreak that occurred April 27, 2011. 
252 people died on my watch in one day with 62 tornadoes. Wow. And that will always be in my soul. I have almost every single name memorized of the people that died that day. I know a lot of their family members. Uh, and it's very motivating for me. And I know there should be a day to celebrate the ones that live because of the warnings that were provided that day. But I'm still focused on the ones that didn't. Um, and so out of all, and I've done like Alex, we've been here since World War One. But uh, I'd say <laughs> Hurricane <laughs> Frederick and uh, uh, and the uh, and the April 27th thing, though, those are two of the most memorable ones for me. Yeah, for me, it's, it's a lot of flooding. I mean, we've got, there's a comfort flooding. There's a 98 flooding that totally in, inundated uh, San Antonio and took our little Guadalupe River that's normally about 70, 80 yards wide and turned it seven miles wide and sent it down to the coast. Uh, there's Hurricane Harvey that came up on the coast and just totally stopped 20 miles from San Antonio and left us dropless, but yet 40 miles out, there was 30, 40, 60 inches of rain up in the Houston area. So... Those big things, all those tropical storms, all the flooding, particular here in San Antonio, those have been my big events. Now, we've had a tornado or two come through here, and uh, we had one that came right up through Kelly Air Force Base, hit the, the base there, split a hangar in half, flew right on across, hit the VA hospital, jumped over that, took out a Whataburger, and it's like, wow. Uh, yeah, we've had everything here. It's even snow in 1985, 17 inches worth in San Antonio. Wow. Now, imagine how that hit the city. There were people snow skiing on the, on the loop. Hey, Alex, I was in Dallas during that deal. <laughs> we, we, Dallas didn't get that much. No. I mean, it was all down there. It was all down uh, here. There were people yeah. snow skiing on Loop 410. It was crazy. It always amazes me how meteorologists have the, the capability in their brain to have the dates and years right on so many weather events. You're imprinted. No, no, it, it is imprinted in our soul here. What happened yesterday? I have no idea. Now, what 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 year was Gloria? Remember, Emily? What year? Eighty uh, five. Yeah, but but we're talking about the the magic mid eighties. That was uh, but the, the, my quick story on, on Gloria. Uh, I was working at Channel Four in Dallas, which at the time was a CBS channel, and I was the chief meteorologist. And I got a call at eleven o'clock that morning from the news director. He said, "You got a live shot today," and I said, "Great. Where is it?" And he said, "The National Hurricane Center." I said, "Yeah, right. Where is it?" And he said, the National Hurricane Center. Back in the 1980s, TV stations had money to burn. Yes. They were making so much money. And they had a Learjet waiting on me at the Addison Airport. They flew me to Miami, got off, had a car. We were on the air for the evening newscast from the National Hurricane Center for Gloria, which had nothing to do with Dallas-Fort Worth. Right. But that it was a different world back in the uh, 80s with television. But yeah. that was... <laughs> Uh, that that was my first trip to the Hurricane Center. Alex was uh, good old Gloria. Wow, wow. wow. So, but they 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 don't. Buy, and by the way, for those listening to the show, they don't do that anymore. Television, no, they, no, no, no more Learjet. Don't even do that. But Emily's got a story. Go tell 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 your tell your glorious story. The glorious story is that you know I barely remember. We all went to the basement, and now it's funny because I live in a tropical zone. I live in Charleston, South Carolina. And it's just funny to think back to, oh, we all went and got in the basement. And, like, we would never do that here. That's a terrible idea. First of all, we don't yeah, have any a, basements. Yeah, it's a very bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, I guess we were probably more scared about trees falling on us than we were about flooding. So, yeah. Guys, thank you so much for your time. This was a lot of fun and very enlightening. Very it was great to get your opinion on a lot of this stuff. And um, can't wait to see what the rest of the season holds. Anything else you want to add before we go? No, just get ready. It only takes us one. Yeah, and hurricane season runs until the end of November, okay? Don't write it off yet. <laughs>
Yeah. Don't yeah. write it off yet. We yeah. sure learned that it's last year. It's just getting started. I mean, we're getting ready to get in the hot spot. As soon as we hit August 20th, we're ringing the bell. Off the Radar is a production of the National Weather Desk. Make sure you're following the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes publish every Tuesday. If you know anyone that loves weather and hurricanes, please share this episode with them. Also, find us on social media. Our daily broadcast streams live there every weekday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. We'd also love you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Let us know what you think of the show. Give me some feedback for future episode ideas. Special thanks to James Spann and Alex Garcia for joining me in this episode. I'm meteorologist Emily Gracie. Make it a great day. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.